Good morning. So we'll be praying and reading from Ephesians 3, verse 14 to 21. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the height and the depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. So, Father, we just thank you, Lord, that you fill us with the knowledge of your love, according to your riches, according to your glory, according to your holiness, God, that you strengthen each and every one of us with your power this morning, God, in our spirit, in our inner man, in our inner woman, God, that we would be one with you, God, that we would be strengthened with you, God, and with love that surpasses understanding. This morning, we just give ourselves to you, Lord. We ask that you fill us with the knowledge of your love, the height, the length, the width, and the depth of which there is no limit. And we just ask that you would come and that you would fill us and that you would be glorified in us that we go deeper and deeper and deeper still, Jesus. We just invite you here this morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you, Lord, that you know each person here. And we just ask that, Holy Spirit, you would have your way. You come baptize us with your love, with your fire afresh, God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. story from the word of God. Jesus also told them another story. Once there was a man. And this man had two sons. The younger son said to his father, give me my share of the property, father. So the father divided his property between his two sons. Not long after that, the younger son packed up everything he owned and left for a foreign country, where he wasted all of his money in wild living. He had spent everything when a bad famine spread through the whole land. Soon, he had nothing to eat. He went to work for a man in that country, and the man sent him out to take care of his pigs. He would have been glad to eat what the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything to eat. Finally, one day, he came to his senses and said, My father's workers have plenty to eat, and here I am, starving to death. I will go to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. Treat me like one of your workers. The younger son got up, and he started back 
to see his father. But when he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt sorry for him. He ran to his son and hugged and kissed him. The son said, no, father, I have sinned against God in heaven and against you. I am no longer good enough to be called your son. But his father said to the servants, hurry, bring the best clothes and put them on him. Give him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Get the best calf and prepare it so we can eat and celebrate. This son of mine was dead, but has now come back to life. He was lost and has now been found. And they began to celebrate. The older son had been out in the field, but when he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing, so he called one of the servants over and asked, what, what's going on here? The servant answered him, your brother has come home safe and sound, and your father ordered us to kill the best calf. The older brother got so angry that he would not even go into the house. His father came out to see. He saw his older son and he begged him to go inside. But his son said, for years I have worked for you like a slave and have always obeyed you, but you have never even given me a little goat so that I could give a dinner for my friends. This other son, he wasted your money on prostitutes, and now that he's come home, you ordered the best calf to be killed for a feast. His father replied, my son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we should be glad and celebrate. Your brother was dead, but he is now alive. He was lost and has now been found. you happen to be listening to the podcast and you didn't have a visual, uh, what just took place is um, myself being a dad of two sons, just kind of dramatizing a little bit this story of the emotion that the father potentially went through, um, that uh, the father went through um, with not just his younger son, who gets a lot of the focus when we talk about the story of the prodigal son. Um, but also with his older son. I want to just draw your attention to notes that are there. If you want to take any notes down, you're welcome to do that. Uh, they're there on your table. The series that we're in is called, the, we, we're, we're labeling it the parable, the prodigal father, the story of God's scandalous love. The passage of scripture that was just read is in the gospel of Luke chapter 15, verse 11 through 32. These are the words of Jesus, our savior, our Lord, and the topic of today's message in this series is finding your place, your place, finding yourself in the story. And, and we'll look at the four points that we'll do. And if you want to fill in any notes there, you're welcome to do that so that you could remember what God is speaking to you through his word today. But I also want to let you know that on the back, there's a bibliography that I wanted to provide to you, not just this passage from the Bible. Um, but a couple of sources that I've really relied on, um, two amazing books I would recommend to you. Uh, the movie from Netflix, The Heart of Man, and then Online Teaching. Uh, all of that is there for you. And I also want to say, if you want to pick one of these up at the Hospitality Center to invite uh, friends of yours, we have, a few, we have uh, several weeks left of this series. And God is really blessing us through the message of Jesus and the story uh, that we're looking at 
in this. So thank you, Cairo, for reading the scripture, and thank you, Sabrina, for leading us in prayer. I just want to make mention about last week, we talked about um, humanity and God's love for humanity. We, we titled that In Defense of Humanity. Uh, I want to just picture, give you a picture of that just for a moment by way of review, and then also for those of you who were unable to be with us last week, Mark Buntain, he's now in heaven. His wife is still with us here on this earth. Uh, but Mark and Hulda Buntain served decades in India, and uh, they're the, the kind of the Mother Teresa and, and the, you know, of, of their fellowship, of their missions fellowship. And, and they just really compassion ministry extraordinaire. And I just, if you ever read his, his uh, one of his, uh, the books about them called Compassionate Touch, the thing that keeps coming to me over and over is where Hulda and Mark Buntain would see somebody riddled with, with, with uh, disease, open sores, etc., dying on the street. And they would go over to that person and say, you, Jesus died, we're going we're gonna to stop and care for you because Jesus died for you, because God created you in his own image. You know, that kind of perspective that you have about humanity, that we're not just an accident, that God created us by design, and that he loves us enough to send his son on a rescue mission for us, to reveal the Father through stories like this, but then, then to give his love to us entirely on the cross and through the resurrection from the dead. All of these things are the revelation of who God really is in our lives. And when you get that kind of picture of who God is and, and what that means, who you are, then all of a sudden you begin to really think more highly of yourself, but also think more highly of humanity uh, in general all around us. So I just want to give that to us uh, to bring us in from last week. And then the story again that we're looking at is the product story of the prodigal son. But what's interesting is, is that as soon as you read this story and start to give some thought to it, it's not just one son that's involved. There's actually two sons that are involved, and you find out that the real lead character in the story is the father. So even though it's colloquially called the story of the parable of the prodigal son, that's not a title that Jesus gave it. He's the one who gave the story. It's just a little way that we hang ourselves, our thoughts on, on, on what this story is that we're referring to. But keep in mind, two sons, one father uh, that are here as the main characters um, of this. And, and, and so in this week, uh, when we're talking about finding your place uh, in the story, we're going to talk about uh, how... Uh, the father who represents God is somebody that we have to know, we have to get in touch with, but that these two sons represent humanity. And I'm even saying that they represent two kinds of humanity. Um, it's it's kind of, we, we don't like generalizations, but in a way, in, in the way that we relate with God, we kind of relate in two different ways. And so First of all, let's talk about God, then we'll talk more about humanity and how you see yourself and what's revealed there. But I'm going to talk about that word prodigal because if we say the prodigal God or the prodigal father, why would we use that adjective to describe God? And so in, in Timothy Keller's book, he, he quoted Merriam-Webster's Collegiate Dictionary, and he said that the word prodigal means recklessly spendthrift, um, just extravagant uh, way of living life. And and 
Timothy Keller define it as to spend until you have nothing left. That's for sure what the prodigal son did with his material means that he got from his father. But there's somebody else that's spending in an extravagant way. And it's the, it's the, it's the father. He's spending his reputation. He's spending his hurts, his heart for his children. He's allowing them to reject him, but he's still loving them. He's forgiving them. He's restoring them. You see the prodigal uh, love of, of, of the prodigal father. And so we're going to... Um, we're going to continue to focus on the father, but I want to get in touch with the humanity of this story, uh, of those two sons, the younger son and the older son. We're going to talk this week, just to prepare you, we're going to talk a little bit about how we are lost like these two sons were. Next week, we'll focus more on how we are found, uh, but we're going to get that basis for how we're lost, but we're going to be found even today. Don't worry about it. It's like the scripture that the apostle Paul gave through the power of the Holy Spirit, the voice of the Holy Spirit speaking through through him in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 19 it says that God was in Christ Jesus reconciling the world to himself not reckoning to them their trespasses in other words that God the father was in his son Jesus and Jesus was given to us so that our sins don't have to be counted against us because he took those sins upon him. So we see here an amazing rescue mission of heaven for humanity. And so let's start with this point uh, where we can make, make, just see where it's made clearly in Jesus' parable from our, and from our own experience, I would add, that there are really two kinds of people, okay? Really two kinds of people. Now I'm, I'm going to look around. Are we up there? Yeah. Look at these guys on our tech team. Thank you guys, wherever you are. As mentioned, there is one character in this drama that is oft referred to, the prodigal son. We find out that there is really two other characters, the older brother and then also the father who we've titled the prodigal father. And although there are other characters in this story, these are the three main characters, the father and two sons. And just like the father represents God, the sons represent humanity and really two different types of humanity. It's interesting to me how people flocked to see Jesus by the multitudes. They wanted to see him. They wanted to hear him. They had never heard teaching like this before. And by the way, before Jesus came and after Jesus came, no one has given us words like Jesus. And I flocked to his words, and I know you flocked to his words, and it was no different then. When people heard his words, heard the truth, the love that he was communicating, when they saw the way he treated people, rich people, poor people, religious people, non-religious people, males, females, young, old, they flocked to him. They couldn't believe the, 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 the love of Jesus and the power of Jesus, the healing of the sick, the casting out of demons, uh, setting people free from all of these oppressive forces, dark forces. And so people flocked to him. There were, there were always crowds around him such that if sometimes they had to, if there wasn't room to get in the house, they had to take a roof off to get to him. I mean, this was what was going on with the amount of people that were surrounding Jesus. But those people that surrounded him are really in two different categories. And those categories represent kind of you and me and the rest of us today. The two different kinds of people are, one I call them rebels and the other I call them religious. Now those are two very general terms, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and extrapolate out what I'm talking about with that. But I'm just saying that the, the, one, the younger son, we would recognize him as a rebel. 
The older son, we would recognize him as kind of a religious, a moralist, a rule keeper. We recognize that he said, I've kept these rules all, all my life. I've, I, I've, I've, I've not let you down, Father. And this son has let you down. He's the rebel. I'm kind of the, the conservative uh, lifestyle. And, 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 and you, should, you should appreciate me. And we see this kind of uh, divide between the rebels and the religious. Those who are moralists. Those who are, uh, we would even call them free spirits. And you notice that the rebels hell-bent on being rebellious. Uh, those are religious, a lot of resentment. Did you notice that? Resentment of the father. I, I, I get really disturbed when I hear him talk to his father when, uh, when he's rejecting his father's way of treating his brother. And in that, he's, he's, he's really rejecting his brother. And, and he says to him, your son. So he never calls him father, a title of respect in that culture. And he never addresses him as father. And he doesn't own up, he doesn't even own his brother. He says, your son. And, and, he, and he says, this is what's wrong with what the son has done. And this is what's wrong with the way that you're responding to the son. And so you see this kind of divergence in these two people. The one rebelling, the other uh, being you know, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play by the rules, uh, but if somebody uh, doesn't do what I want them to do, uh, there's a lot of resentment in me. And so you have these people, uh, some who adhere to traditional morality, and then you have those who are neither moralistic nor religious. And, and really, that's oftentimes, we see this played out often in our, in our homes, in our government. We see this played out in, uh, in our, our way of relating with God, these two different kinds of people. So the story was told mostly to that older brother group of people. What's interesting is we focus so much on the younger brother, but really the story was directed, it was spoken directly to the older brother crowd, the moralists, the religious, the, the ones who, who think they have it all together and they look down on everyone else. And that's who the story was, was directed to. And I know that because at the beginning of Luke chapter 15 in verse number one through three, it says, now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And then it says, and then Jesus told them this parable. And then what's interesting is he actually tells them three stories. And really they're referred to as one parable because they all have the same theme. He tells them about three very valuable things that were lost. A lost sheep to a shepherd, a lost coin to a widow woman, and a lost son to a father. And they were lost, but then later found, and there was a great celebration. And so the theme is the same, even though there are different people, that woman, that shepherd, that father, but the same parable is being expressed to us. And what we see is the dynamic when you look at not just the story, but the reason for the story. Why did Jesus tell this story at this time? Because they were saying to him, look, we don't like the way that you're acting, Jesus. You seem to know a lot of the scripture. You seem to know a lot about God. You seem to know, but you're doing what should not be done. You are sitting and fellowshipping with sinners. And, and it's called tax collectors and sinners. And, and, and I'm not going to get into the whole history that was going on. Uh, but these were people who were kind of, uh, had, had, had um, 
they're traitors to the Jewish nation. They're traitors to the religion. And, and, and here Jesus is hanging out with these people. And so you see Jesus standing up for the sick, the, not just the sick that, that were physically sick, but the morally sick, the spiritually sick. But he's, while he's defending them and, and reaching out to them, he's also challenging those who are healthy, those who are well. He's challenging those who don't think that they're morally impure or they don't believe that they are spiritually out of relationship with God. And so here you have Jesus coming and speaking to this second crowd, the religious, the moralist, but he's doing it in the hearing of those who are the notorious sinners. So you have the rebels and the religious. He's speaking to the religious in the hearing of the rebels. And he's endorsing that he wants a relationship with the rebels, but he's also speaking to the religious saying, I want a relationship with you. It's an interesting thing in, um, in um, Dr. Kenneth Bailey's uh, message. Uh, I'm just going to read from him. He says, he told him this story, a singular parable, three stories, a part of a single presentation. And the Pharisees asked this question, why do you eat? They believe that the way to relate to God is by strict adherence to the law. Obedience was their thing. By the way, I'm just going to throw in there that there's an obedience that doesn't come from the law that's by faith, and it's in the book of Romans, so read that. It's not just something that you do externally, but internally, so obedience is not the issue. Is that they, they felt like it's not relationship with God, it's obedience to the laws of God. So religious Jews were living among people who did not keep the law in a precise fashion. By necessity, they accepted this state of affairs, but insisted that purity required one only to sit and eat with those who, who adhered to the dietary and ceremonial laws of Moses, and therefore not with those who are outsiders or sinners. Only were they to sit and eat with those who were ceremonial, ceremonially pure, and, and sinners were not to be fellowship with, people who do, do not keep the law. And then they come to him saying, this man eats with sinners. And the way Jesus not only defends himself, but explains himself in a way to reach out to them in tender love, to bring them into the understanding of what he was doing, is he told this parable, which is in three uh, stories that he gave to them. So you have Jesus' life and his teachings attracting large crowds. And what we see among those crowds are those who are, uh, and I'm going to quote here uh, from uh, Timothy Keller's book, uh, The Prodigal God, uh, those who are the licentious, the liberated, the broken, and the marginalized. And then I would add that smaller crowds of those who were antagonistic to Jesus were, were really in the category of the religious or the morally upright. They were the people that you would think that would be at the party, that would be at the celebration, that when God opens his home, they were the people that would be there. Why? Because they seemed to take God so seriously. They were focused on what is true obedience to God and how can we be obedient to God and then how can we make sure that everybody around us is obedient to God. I like what Timothy Keller did in his book, The Prodigal God. He used these two terms that are familiar, I'm, I'm sure, to most of you, if not all of you. He talked about the bourgeois, and he talked about the bohemians. 
And, and he says those are two, cat, two uh, titles that fit these two categories. The bourgeois, or the ethic, these are people that live by the ethic of hard work and moral rectitude. And the bohemian are the freedom from convention type people. These are the ones who say, I need my personal uh, autonomy. And so you've got moral conformity, and then you've got those people who are fixated on self-discovery. And so you've got these two categories, and I wanna, I, I'm hoping you're beginning to ask, where do I fit into these two categories? If there are two types of people, who am I? Am I the younger son, the rebel? Or am I that older son, the one who thinks he's, he's got it all figured out, and yet it's not really about relationship with God? If there's any of that in, in any, any of you, I wanna, I wanna help you to make sure that you're identifying that. I'm not doing that to point out something wrong about you. I, I've done this myself. You know why? Because I've seen both of those sons in me. I've seen the rebel in me, and I've seen the conformist in me. I've seen the one that thinks he had it all figured out. He knows God, he knows what to do, and he could tell everyone else what to do. And then I'd fallen flat on my face, and I've realized, like that older son did, there's still some stuff that God needs to do in my life. I've also been that rebel running away from God, looking at all the wrong places for love so to speak or what or really for me it was prestige or you know it was it was acceptance from peers that kind of thing and so you've got these two groups of individual and and we could kind of be one of those at one season in our life and another one at another season of our life some of us who conform more easily to people around us we could hang out with rebels and be a rebel we could hang out with the religious and be religious the reality is is that we need to identify these things about ourselves so that we can move beyond rebellion and remove beyond religion and move into what the father was really after and that is relationship see I'm just going to be honest with you I've been as religious a Christian as any religious uh, Muslim or, or, or Jewish uh, you know whether orthodox or reformed whatever I've been as religious as the next person and at some point we need to see that in us we need to see that rebel in us and ask ourselves, how are we, how do we understand God relating to us? And then how are we relating to God? You know, when I look at this older brother, I see anger in him. And I, I, rec I recognize that in my own life at times. I see a sense of superiority to him. And by the way, there's no pride more ugly than spiritual pride. It, it, the, the worst kind of proudful person is a Christian proudful person. It's the worst kind. Because they claim to have direct revelation from God, yet the way that they live is arrogant. Jesus, the word of God tells us to be ready to give an answer for the hope that we have, but to do it with gentleness and respect. Jesus himself, those said, Jesus himself said to us, those who humble themselves before me will be lifted up. Even the scripture that we read earlier, we have to humble ourselves like a little child. And this is what deals with that anger, that superiority, that indifference, that jealousy, that envy, all of these things we see in that older brother. He was envious of his brother, getting what he didn't get after he had worked so hard for it. He was rejecting the love of the father for his wayward son. But in doing so, he was also rejecting the love of his father for him. Notice that Jesus leaves the story unfinished when it comes to the older son. Because it was the older son that he was speaking to, those Pharisees, those religious crowd people. He was speaking to them and he was leaving it open to them. He was saying, look, I left the party to come out to you. I want a relationship with you just as much as I want a relationship with them. In fact, I can tell you that everything that I have is yours. And I, and I want to be in relationship with you. And yet that's your call. 
That's your decision whether you want to be in relationship with me. So even through the jealousy or the envy and then the rejection that we have of brothers or of our father. And then that critical spirit we get. That joyless apathy that we get toward the father and toward others and eventually toward our own selves. Because when we can't love others, we can't love ourselves. And so you have this joyless life that the older brother is living. But I see this in the younger brother. I see some of the same characteristics and then some that are different. Instead of superiority, I see now inferiority. He's saying, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. So when we mess up, we think lowly of ourselves. But God still says, I love you based on the fact that you are created in my image. And my son died on the cross for you. So you've got this inferiority on the part of the young son. This indifference, we see it even in him to his father. We see the jealousy and envy. And, and he's saying, you know, I'm jealous of those people out there that, that are experiencing life that I'm not experiencing myself. That's why he went to a distant land and the ultimate rejection of his father. And then again, back to the older son, he says, I've never disobeyed. Shocking that this son was actually not the one in the father's house because he had every opportunity to be in the father's house. But he was more concerned with his own correctness and other people's wrongness, with his own rectitude and other people's immorality, with his own religion and other people's lack of it. And because he had done all this and felt like he had given up so much and, and, and more was being given to another, we just see this really bad attitude. And no, no love for his father, no joy, not a relationship with his father, even his brother. So you have this rebellious, the religious, the one who rebels, the one who resents. And it's interesting because when you read the Apostle Paul, when he talks about Jews and Gentiles, he seems to put them also in two categories. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 22, he talks about how the Jews, uh, they, they, they uh, demand signs. And the Greeks, they look for wisdom. He was saying in essence that the Jews want something to be done. They want something to be accomplished. The Greeks want something to be figured out. They want to understand why it, it all is. They don't just want to see it happen. They want to know why it happened. And when you look at this, you can see this lived out in Christians. Those who are more religious Christians, those are more about relationship with father Christians. But you also see this among Muslims, Jews. You see that oftentimes they're like that older son who resent the father. And, and, and they have this attitude of, the father has never done anything for me. That's why there really there isn't an expression of God as father, let alone as God as Abba. There's an expression of God as judge. But is there an intimacy and relationship? Do they have a relationship with this God that Jesus and Jesus alone is revealing? A God who runs to us, who embraces us with, with hugs and with kisses, even after all that we've done. And even when we have bad attitudes as moralists, he comes out and entreats us, even begs us to come in and be at his table, be in relationship with the Father and his family. So the beautiful thing about understanding who God is and understanding who you are is then you know how you can respond to God. When you identify that God is ready for you to come home, he's welcoming you home, and then you identify whether you're outside the home or you're just coming home, you can make a decision. But I'm just going to tell you this. Moralists have to beware. When we read this story, religious people have to beware. Those who are the rebels have to beware that they go beyond a point of no return. We understand that. They could go so far off the deep end, there's no place. We understand that. But the, rebel, the religious, 
are the ones who sit back home thinking that everything is okay. They're the hardest sometimes to reach. And, and, and so what we see is the cross of Jesus, Jesus coming on a rescue mission for us, so sweet like music to our ears, like beautiful perfume for us to smell, those of us who love the Lord Jesus. But to others who choose to rebel and continue to rebel or be religious and moralist and feel no need for their relationship with Father, they are in the most precarious position because to them, God's rescue mission itself is offensive. The cross is offensive. You know, when I listen sometimes to things on, 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 uh, on, on YouTube and I listen to certain um, uh, uh, debates that were going on and, and I played that debate with, for you at, at Easter between uh, the, uh, Professor John Lennox from Oxford and, and Richard Dawkins. And, and, and since then, I've kind of kind of followed the thread of those and I've listened to a couple others that I didn't even know that John Lennox had, had, had uh, debated like for instance Christopher Hitchens before he died and when I, when I listened to that just a few, day, a few weeks ago I heard Christopher Hitchens say you know what I, I, don't, I don't want Jesus to come and die on the cross for me I never asked for it I, I don't need it it's wrong it's, it's, it, I, if I need to be condemned, I should be condemned. It should be my, my behavior and no one should come and, and I don't ask for a rescue and how dare you come and I'm listening to the, to, to the like haughty statement of this man and thinking his only hope is the Lord Jesus. The only one who revealed God to us like this is Jesus. The only one who went to the cross and rose from the dead is Jesus. The only one who fulfilled all the prophecies is Jesus. And yet here's a man that's offended by the cross. But that's what the Apostle Paul said. He says the cross is a sweet aroma to some, but it's a smell of death to others. And who is it a smell of death to? Those who want to continue to rebel or continue to stay religious. So I want to ask you this question. What kind of human are you? What kind of human have you been? How have you related to God as a rebel? How have you related to God as a moralist, as a religious, as a conformist? And then I want to ask this. We've looked at the difference, the contrast between these two types of people represented by these two sons. What is the same about them? And one thing that we find out the same is about them, and it's really surprising when you find it out, is that they're both sinners. Because one, it was so obvious they were sinners. They were hanging out with the notorious sinners, the tax collectors. They were doing all of these things. It's so obvious that they're sinners. But this one seems to be you know, having everything together. I'm dutiful. I'm responsible. I'm not throwing my father's money away. I'm doing, I'm living by the book, following the rules and all of this. And yet we find through his attitudes, his rejection of his brother, his rejection of his own father, his finger pointing, his wagging his finger at his father's face, telling him, you're not what you're supposed to be, even when the father was such a loving father. You know, there's a lot of causes today. There's a lot of political causes. There's men's causes, there's women's causes, there's gun causes, there's environmental causes, there's all those things. Sometimes they divide us, but in a way they should also unite us. Because in one thing that the Bible reveals to us, that no matter what category we're in, whether the rebel or the religious, we're all hypocrites. The reality is, is that we're even hypocrites of the cause that we believe the most in. We might be environmental hypocrites. We might be, you know, uh, doing something 
uh, with, our, with our Christian faith. Whatever we're doing, we're not living entirely consistently with our belief system. There's something that we're doing wrong, something that we're not paying attention to. And the beautiful thing about the Bible is it tells us that that's who we all are, which, which is a really a barrier breaker. It's Jesus coming and taking down the divisions between us and saying, look, those of you who are offended, uh, use the race issue, which is such a major issue in the United States of America. Black, white, Hispanic, all of the different races offended with each other. At some point, we need to look not just at others and our disappointment with them, but at ourselves and our disappointment with not only our lives, but our tribes. Those that we hang out with, we can see the inconsistencies in all of that. And what we see in both the revelation of the older son and the revelation of the younger son, they're just identified as sinners in need of God's grace. This will help us when we live in a divided city, a divided country, when we separate each other by education or by geography or by blue or by red or all of these silly, ridiculous things. At the end of the day, we're all sinners in the need of God's grace. We all have hypocrisy in our lives, in every area of our lives. And yet the word of God says that what's the same about the older son and the younger son is that they're all sinners. The second thing that's common to them both is that neither one wanted relationship with their father. We might think, well, the, young, the older son must have wanted relationship with his father because he stayed home with his father. But you know what? He was exposed. His heart was laid bare when he said, all these years I've worked for you and you didn't even give me a goat. You see, the younger son left and eventually wanted food. The older son stayed and eventually said, I want food. The reality is, is that both of them are expressing the same thing. Father, we want your stuff, but we don't necessarily want you. One was willing to work for it. The other was, wasn't willing to work for it. In that way, they're totally different. But there's both after the same selfish thing. You see, that reveals the heart of you and me as sinners. That at some point, we're willing to reject the Father. I've done it, you've done it. Sometimes we do it in a microcosm type way. We would do it several times throughout the day. Ignore the Father. At some point, we need to realize that that makes us sinners. But sinners that are not left without hope but sinners that have a father who's ready and willing to run to us. He's ready and willing to come out of the party. He's ready and willing to plead with us to come in. The other thing that I recognize that's the same about these two sons is that neither son had joy. All one party for a while, but at the end, what did that leave him? A joyless life. No friends, no money, no home, no dad. No brother, no culture that he had grown up in, no community that he had grown up in, joyless. And yet the one who stayed home and had all that the father had materially also was joyless. He was a cynic. He was critical. He was critical of his father, critical, critical of his brother. So the other didn't have a, one had a job, one didn't have a job, but neither one had joy. But the last thing that I'm going to say that's common about these two sons, like I've said, they were both wrong. They were both loved. Sometimes people come around here and they're surprised how open we are. When I start talking about years ago almost losing my marriage as a pastor and needing counseling and needing somebody to speak into my life when I was helping everybody else. 
Sometimes we've shared our journey about raising kids and the challenges that we've had and, and where we've had successes, but where we've had really, really horrible failures. And sometimes people are wondering, how, why are you so open about this? We're open, we're open about this for two reasons. One, it's true of all of us that we're all hypocrites. We're all sinners. But I also know that I'm not afraid to talk about it because there's a father who runs after me and never lets me go. He doesn't stop running after me when I'm a rebel. He doesn't stop running after me when I'm religious. He, he comes out of parties to entreat me, to beg me, to come in. He tells me that I am his son. That's what the father said to that religious young man. He said, my son. That's the way he, he didn't like begin, hey, how dare you speak to me that way? You've embarrassed me before, before this public uh, party that I've thrown for your son. How dare you mistreat your son? He, he endearingly spoke to him and said, my son. And he called him that. Even when his son was rejecting him, he said, my son. He says, all that I have is yours. Everything that I have. And I want to be with you. And I want you to be with me and to be with your family. So what's common about these two sons are that they're sinners, that um, that they're hypocrites, that neither one of them, or both of them have rejected God, have rejected their father, but both being wrong are both loved. And so then we have God's response to both of these two kinds of people. And it's, it's an interesting thing when you look at God's response. And I, I can't wait till next, next week. I, I, like every week, I want to be there next week. Next week when we talk about the unseen brother. And if you're not here... You, Feel free to get the podcast, all right? Because this story never stops speaking to me, and it'll never stop speaking to you if you let it. What we have is this beautiful response of the father to these two sinful brothers, sons. The behavior of both sons was shocking, really. The one son literally took his father to court. That's the custom at that time, to get the inheritance which you're not supposed to get until your father dies. You're literally saying, you're standing on this land, I'm gonna rip it right out from under your feet. And if you drop dead in the process, that's okay with me. That's literally what this son was saying. And he wasn't just saying it privately, he had to go public with that. Before all of the father's family members, they literally probably thought he couldn't be a good father to have a son treat him that way. But the, son, the father didn't allow that rejection to define his love. His, he's got this beautiful thing of love. The father does, God does, God is love. And he knows the whole... He not only defined grace, he is grace. And so you've got this behavior, the son's shocking. A son who says, I'm going to take you to court to get what I want and leave you behind. And then the other son that's just as shocking who says, look, before all of your friends, when you're showing yourself to be the most precious father that any father could possibly be, I'm going to tell the, all the people at the party how, how bad you are as a father. And he's shaming the father. But their father's response to them was even more stunning than what they did in rejection of him. The younger son rejects the father, the family, the community. And how does the father respond? He runs to that younger son. He runs to him. He's looking for him. He's waiting for him to return. And even in the Greek original language, it says, as he was running to him, he fell upon him and he kissed him. And in the Greek behind that is repeatedly kissed him, his dirty, uh, you know, just 
you know, he was with the pigs and he was kissing his face over and over and embracing him. And then when the son started to say, I'm no longer worthy, he wouldn't hear it. He was like, you're my son. I don't care what you've done. You're still my son and I'm going to prove it to you. Give him the ring that shows that he still has the authority in this family. Give him the robe that still shows him that he's accepted by me. Give him the food that he needs. In fact, let's go public with it. Let the whole world know that this is my boy. He was lost but he's now found. And he went public. That's the response of the father to that young son. But then you've got this older son saying, where's the justice in all this? Don't you know that I have rights? And he insults the father and he deeply wounds the father's heart. And he says all these horrible things to his father. And how does the father respond to him? He says, my son, all that I have is yours. Always has been yours. Always will be yours. Come in and be relationship with me. He ignored all of the insults. And he in essence was saying, I didn't disown your brother. And now even now, with all that you're saying to me, I will not disown you. This parable that's told to the religious directly in the hearing of the notorious sinners. He's speaking to them saying, I want you both. When I see Jesus' interaction with the Pharisees, I hear stinging rebukes. But through this study that I've been doing the last few weeks, I see him over and over again saying to them, it's not my will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge of the truth. Repent and turn to me and be in relationship with me. Jesus is the one who in Revelation chapter 3 stands stands outside the door of his own church that he purchased with his own blood and knocked on that door out of honor for the people's will and their uh, freedom to choose, knocked on that door and says, I'm knocking at the door and if anyone hears my, my knock and opens the door, I will come in and we'll have dinner together. We'll do lunch. We'll have uh, breakfast together. We'll have, we'll have, we'll, we'll eat supper together. We'll be in relationship with each other. This is the beautiful thing. So you've got two kinds of people and wherever you are now or wherever you've ever been in these kind of people, you've got two kinds of people but you only have one kind of God. And remember that. And it's the God who runs to both sons. It's the God who says, you know, you might both be wrong but you're still both loved. I'm gonna eat with sinners no matter what the religious say but then I'm gonna leave the party and reach out to those sinners. God comes to both. God seeks for both because he knows that all are lost. And again, I just want to say it, for whatever category you're in, both wrong, both loved. And then lastly, it's up to you. Notice that Jesus doesn't make a decision for that older son. He leaves the welcome extended and waits for his response. So I want you to do two things. And we're not going to do this in our service like we've done some of the things in our service before where we've broken up into groups in this, in this series, we've done something personally, I'm going to give you a homework assignment because I believe that you have to do this privately and personally in prayer with God. And I want you to get alone with God and I want you to ask God, what kind of person am I? Am I that religious person? Am I that rebel? Am I running from you? Or am I coming home to you? Where am I if I'm the rebel? Where am I if I'm the religious person?
when you're there, ask, am I at home with God? Am I comfortable being in God's presence? Do I enjoy it? Is there joy? Or is there criticism of God or distance between God and myself? Am I resentful? Do I relate to God as a taskmaster or as a father who runs to me? With, and by the way, I'm going to give you the, the preview of the last teaching where it says, where's the mother? A father who runs to me with all the characteristics of a mother. Because let's face it, there aren't too many patriarchs that run to sons, especially sons who have let them down. There aren't too many patriarchs that just embrace and say, all I need to, you to know is that I love you and I accept you. And I trust that when you come to know my love, that will be your true repentance. That will be your true conversion. That will be your true transformation. God's willing to take that risk with us. Jesus died for us before we asked him to. And while we were yet sinners, the Bible says, God demonstrated his love for us and that Christ died for us. So I'm gonna ask you, are you at home with God? Are you God's home? Are you recognizing that God has made his residence, that he has taken up residence in your life? The key to relationship is communication. Are you communicating with God? Do you like what you're hearing from God? Are you being real with God? Is it, is it making a difference in your life? And if you wonder what your barometer is in your relationship with God, start asking about others. Am I welcoming my brother? Am I welcoming my sister? Am I welcome, welcoming the religious or the rebellious? Or am I distant from them? If I'm blue, do I love the red? If I'm red, do I love the blue? If I'm rich, do I love the poor? If I'm poor, do I love the rich? Do I see us all as the same? Sinners, hypocrites, who, has a God, who have a God who's pursuing us to be in relationship with us? So you can ask, are you the younger son? Are you the older son? How are you... Uh, being welcomed in by the Father and how are you extending that welcome to others? You know, when you ask that question, who am I? I hope that you're hearing the answer. You are your Father's child. Your heavenly Father's child. The more you discover your identity, the less you will have that insecurity, that sense of inferiority, and thank God less of that superiority. You will know that God loves you no matter whether you think yourself smarter than somebody else, better looking than somebody else, more talented, more spiritually gifted. It won't matter to you. When you know your identity to be a child of the Father, it makes all the difference in your life. When you know that you can't lose because the Father loves you, that you know that no matter what you've done, the Father's still running to you, that what kind of religious spirit you have that rejects the Father and rejects others, He's still coming to you. When you recognize your identity, you know when that son finally came to his senses? Well, he knew he was unworthy when he was in that pig pen. He knew that he had squandered his father's inheritance. But all of a sudden he recognized you know what? I'm still a son and I still have a father. Remember what he said? He said, in my father's house, the servants are eating better than I am. It was all self-serving for the son. 
He was not focused at that point on having a relationship with the Father. Not till the Father embraced him in his arms did he understand the Father's hurt and did he melt in the Father's arms and say, now I understand what I've done against you. I want to be in relationship with you for the rest of my life. Only then did true conversion and repentance come. But before that, he was just responding to his own pathetic need. The mess that he'd gotten himself in and the hunger that he had, the physical need that he had as a result of it. But even then, he knew the solution was in his father's house. You see, the key to knowing your identity in a way that is transformative of your lives, that makes you live differently, that makes you love everyone no matter if they love you or not. The key to that is to know the love of Father God for you individually. To remember, and I'm going to say it now because sons have represented us as men and women, but I'm going to say it now more intimately. When you recognize, ladies, that you are a daughter of the Father, when you recognize that He loves you, that you don't have to perform for Him, that you don't have to put on an air for Him, there's no pretense that you have to put on, that there's a safe place. You can sit on his lap. You can run into his arms. He can stroke your hair and tell you how much he loves you, that you're his precious child, that you're his daughter, that he's got everything taken care of. He has, I'm going to put some categories in there. He has your welfare taken care of, your financial needs taken care of. He has your marriage taken care of, your singleness taken care of. He has your family, your friends taken care of. He has your calling taken care of. He has everything taken care of in your life. When you know this about the Father, when you know that that's who you really are and you're in relationship with that, that's what transforms you. That you know my Father's good and He's going to meet all of my needs. And I don't have to try and meet my needs. I don't have to run here and try and provide for myself. I've got a good, good Father and He'll provide for me and I just need to let God be God in my life. Let him be a good father. Boys. Boys to men. Fellas. You want your manhood defined? Let God the Father speak that into your life. You struggle with objectifying women? You struggle with fearing that you're not going to measure up? You struggle with health, wealth, whatever those things are. If you know your identity to be a child of the Father, you're his boy. You're his son. And he's running to you. That's your assignment. And I'm giving you that assignment because Henry Nouwen, this famous Catholic mystic who is so rooted in the Word of God in a relationship with Jesus, the Father, the Holy Spirit, in his book about the return of the prodigal son, he expressed how he needed to get away from the day to day. And for him, it was months long. For you, it might be one afternoon. It might be one, one hour in the morning. It might be more or less. But I'm just encouraging you as soon as you possibly can. If it's going to be an extended period of time, you might have to look at this summer before the fall or whatever. I don't know if there's a downtime. We know that D.C. shuts down in August. Maybe that's a good time. But I'm just going to tell you, like I've been telling you for the last several weeks, you have to make space for grace. In Jesus' name. You ready, Gary? For you and because of your kindness for everyone else here. Here's the repeat of the questions. You know, who are you? You have, you have the one up there. I'm going to read that one first. What kind of person are you? And what is your response to God? And here's the questions that come under. Are you at home with God? Are you God's home? 
In other words, are you in relationship with God? How's the communication between you and God? What are you hearing from God? What's God hearing from you? Are you experiencing God's welcome and extending God's welcome to others? Are you the younger son or the older son or a combination of the two? And how are you relating to God from that position? Um, Prayer team and worship team, feel free to come and just lead us in worship and prayer. We're going to close the service, but I want to encourage you to do a few things. One is, if you have never been here before, you're new here, and you want to fill out a connect card like Jess talked about and leave it uh, for us, you can leave it here in the offering plate or at the hospitality center before you go. We'd love to have a phone number, connect, an email address or something to connect with you. Um, it's, it's a part of the love of God, really experiencing that together. Any of you who are new in your relationship with God, we have a free book for you. Jess, where are you? Is she out taking care of stuff? She's out taking care of lunch. God bless Jess. Hey guys, pray for Jess. She runs this whole church all by herself. The elders, we don't do anything. It's all Jess. The trustees, we don't do anything. Right, Joe? We don't do anything. It's all, it's all Jess. Jess does it all. But she is a jack of all trades and a master of many. And, uh, and so just keep her in prayer and bless her and all that stuff. But um, if you're new in your relationship with God, I think they're at the hospitality center. If not, come and see me. This book is for you. It's free. It's called What's Next for You and God. And it'll help in your relationship with God, uh, take you through some scriptures and all of that. Uh, the last thing I want to say on the things for instructions are, you're welcome to stay for lunch. In just a few moments after we're done with some prayer and things, people are going to start setting up food at these tables. And, uh, and then you can just go over and help yourself and we'll have wonderful food and fellowship with each other. And, uh, and yeah, this is May. Is this May? Mother's Day's next week. We'll have a beautiful time. And uh, yeah, okay. Prayer, if you want to be prayed for, come and be prayed for with our ministry team. If you want to just be around here and just worship, you could fellowship out there, all of those things. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for who you are. Um, Father, I just thank you personally for each person that is here this morning. I thank you that it's no accident that we're all here for you and with you and even with each other. And I just, I just know that us being in a place like this is, is a way of recognizing that God you run to us because I didn't make up this story and this story is found in no religion only in Jesus do we find this revelation so we just praise you God that you've run to us to reveal to us your love and that Jesus you ran to the cross for us you ran to rise from the dead to conquer the the, the effects of sin in our lives, death and separation. And so, Jesus, I pray that our hope would be in you, our trust would be in you, our relationship would be in you, not only for salvation from our sins, but because of the purpose of salvation, for reconciliation and relationship with you, God. God, bless us, Lord, in our journey with you. And, and Lord, as you pour out your love in our lives, would you let it spill over to people all around us? In Jesus' name.